3 a.m. Tales of Terror contains explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to 3 a.m. Tales of Terror, where we tell you stories of the paranormal. I'm your host, Jamie. And I'm your co-host, Charlie. And today's episode is going to be probably a bit of a long one, so we're going to end up jumping right into it. We're going to do the story of Bavalia Island in Venice, Italy, but the we're going to go over some of the background of it, but I found a quite lengthy encounter tale, and I cannot wait for Charlie to read along with the story because... I'm always hearing it for the first time, just yes. like y'all. <laughs> yeah, Charlie, Charlie hears these stories for the first time, just like you guys, because... I'm the one who does all the research and I read all the stories and make sure that they're, you know, they're good to go. And man, I'm just here for commentary. (laughs) Just the (laughs) twist at the end of the story of this um, encounter tale. Man, I cannot wait. Okay, so we're going to jump right in because it's going to be a long one. Okay, Bavalia is a cursed and mysterious island. Indeed, some strange historical events have shaped its reputation as the darkest place of the Venice Lagoon. Bavalia, an island that can be compared to the size of the Sheep's Meadow in Central Park or half of Navy Pier in Chicago, is said to be so evil that you'd be hard-pressed to find an Italian willing to set foot on the island. Fishermen won't even fish in the area surrounding Bavalia, and it was completely off-limits to visitors for many years. Pavalia wasn't always an evil place where unspeakable horrors happened. The island is mentioned in documents dating back to 421 and was a flourishing economic center with a growing population up until 1378. During the War of Shiogia, the people of Pavalia called Pavalioti were evacuated to Venice. When the war was finally over in 1381, Pavalia lay in total devastation and only a few dozen inhabitants were able to return home. Despite the construction of one of the octagonal fortresses intended to protect the entrances to the Venetian lagoon, Pavalia was abandoned for centuries. It wasn't until the plague hit Venice and even killed Doge Giovanni Mocenigo, the head of state, that the idea of a plague island came about. The Venetians wanted to isolate the infected and curb the spread of the disease. There were actually other plague islands in the lagoon. Lazaretto Vecchio has been thoroughly explored, and it's estimated around 500 people died per day there. Archaeologists have studied the skeletons, and the remains belong to men, women, and children. It's thought that around 160,000 people died on Pavalia, but the island hasn't been fully investigated like Lazaretto Vecchio has. Being taken to the island was a sure death sentence, and the people often went kicking and screaming, knowing that they would live out their last days in a literal hell on earth. Some say that the soil is mostly made up of the ash of the burned victims. After Pavilion was used to quarantine anyone exhibiting symptoms of the plague, Napoleon used it to store weapons. He also had the 12th century church destroyed, and the church's bell tower was converted into a lighthouse. Eventually, Napoleon's enemies discovered he was storing weapons on the island and many battles took place on it, claiming even more lives. A mental hospital was opened in Pavilia in 1922. The mental hospital's existence is confirmed by the sign that reads, Reparto Psychiatria, and remains affixed to the derelict building to this day. 
The rest of the events that occurred there, as told by the locals, read more like a figment of Hollywood's imagination. The patients, already considered to have lost their marbles, regularly reported seeing the ghost of plague victims and said they were kept up at night from the screams of the tortured souls. Their claims were ignored. As if not already strange enough, the doctor at the mental hospital decided to try and find a cure for insanity by performing lobotomies on the patients. The tales say that he used cruel methods to perform the lobotomies, such as using hand drills. Some of the odd machines can still be seen in the rooms of the hospital today. It's also said that a number of patients were taken to the bell tower where they were subjected to a special kind of torture, but we'll never know for sure what exactly occurred there because the doctor eventually threw himself from the bell tower, claiming just before that the patients had driven him mad. A nurse is said to have witnessed the whole event, but it's unclear whether the doctor did in fact kill himself or whether someone else threw him from the bell tower. In 1968, after the doctor's death, the hospital was closed and the island was once again completely abandoned. Few people have set foot on Pavalia since 1968, as it was completely off-limits for visitors. Paranormal shows like Ghost Adventures and Scariest Places on Earth both got permission to visit the island and film there. Whew, I don't think I've seen that episode of Ghost Adventures. I'm going to have to go look that up. <laughs> I have never seen an episode of Ghost Adventures. so Oh, it's so cheesy. I know. I've heard. <laughs> trust me. Okay, so we're going to get into this story that I found online. And it's quite a long one. And I'm so excited for Charlie to read it. <laughs> so let's go. Okay. In the summer of 2013, I visited the island of Pavalia. I will be changing my name and others mentioned since it is strictly forbidden to visit the island. The two nights we were there were the most terrifying experiences of my life. For those who aren't familiar with Pavalia Island, it is a smallish island among others tucked into, tucked in the lagoon of Venice, Italy. For those who aren't local or don't know its history, the island is quite beautiful with lots of green and beautiful buildings glistening off the shimmering shores. However, those that know its history know that it is the island of horrors. My hope is to share my story with others so they will heed my warning and stay away. It's very simple. Your curiosity will most certainly lead you to your inevitably gruesome death. Fresh out of college, my fiance Sebastian, my best friend Sahar, and her husband Michael, my brother Anthony, and myself Octavia decided to check out Venice while vacationing in Europe. My brother had recently gotten out of rehab for reasons I won't mention, so we all thought, I thought, it would be great to go on an adventure, and me being an art and culture fanatic, of course Venice had to be our last stop. We arrived in Venice, the sights were amazing, and the wine exquisite. The whole atmosphere was relaxing, to say the least. Two days of sightseeing, and Michael was already bored. We had never really spent time together, but we never got along either. Nothing personal, no crazy backstory. We just never connected on a friend-to-friend level. So when he suggested we visit this crazy haunted island that's forbidden, and if you're caught, you spend time in a foreign jail, I obviously declined. Duh. <laughs> yeah. So we continued sightseeing, occasionally butting heads and our loved ones having to intervene. Sahar must have given him a stern talking to because the last free day we had in Venice, he talked about how he had paid a local fisherman to take us around the lagoon. I apologized for my behavior and he accepted and apologized as well. The day was great and the weather was perfect. The rays of the sun were warm on my skin and the misty breeze from the water was cool and refreshing. I looked at my brother's face and he was smiling. I hadn't seen him smile in a very long time. 
It wasn't until I turned to see my fiancé's face go pale that I realized where the boat was going. Off in the distance was an island with tall buildings and a bell tower, and we were headed straight for it. Sahar's husband was a genuine asshole. I jumped and almost lost my balance, punched Michael in the jaw. What the fuck is your problem? I screamed. I was overwhelmed with anger. Even my brother was surprised. The boat came to a stop and the man started yelling at Michael in Italian and Michael was just nodding, his face grave. I cursed myself for taking French instead of Italian. The fisherman shooed us off his boat onto the shore of the island and took off, leaving us behind. Sahar was in tears, mumbling things like, should have never come to Italy and I don't want to go to jail. Michael turned to us with his head down. I'm so sorry. He said he's not coming back for us because he doesn't like the commotion that will attract the police, so he's going to have a friend pick us up soon. I couldn't believe my ears. We were going to be stuck here for how long? I started to shiver from the cold. The sun was starting to set and it was getting colder. Maybe there's someone staying on the island and that's why it's illegal, like trespassing private property. My fiancé said as he pulled me closer to him, shielding me from the unforgiving wind. My brother's face lit up, his eyes burning with determination. If that's the case, we can get off the island without getting in trouble if we explain we got dumped here. We're just tourists who got lost. U.S. citizens. They're not going to want any trouble. Anthony said as he started to make his way through the brush towards the buildings we saw earlier. I knew he was probably wrong, but I would have much rather spent the night dealing with the police, dealing with police issues than be stuck on an island we knew nothing about, with nothing but the clothes on our backs. Making our way to the buildings, we found cigarette butts, a few wrappers of trash in Italian, probably a bag of chips or something, and a random shirt that has been worn by the elements. These small things gave us all hope that we weren't the only ones on the island. Oh, if I only knew how right we were. We were completely unprepared for the night to come. When we finally crossed the canal separating us from the buildings, it was pitch black. I didn't think it took us long at all to get across, but apparently we had taken up the rest of the sun time we had. So here we were, finding ourselves using cell phone flashlight apps to walk through the dense shrubbery. My hope of finding someone had evaporated into thin air as we found our first building. Rain had already started to trickle down from the sky, and we all agreed that walking through the rain and the dark would serve us no good in a place we knew nothing about. This particular structure looked like some sort of church, but it was apparent no one had used it in a very, very long time. We made our way inside, and it was practically crumbling apart. After Sebastian, Michael, and Anthony scoped out the area, we decided to make a small area in the cleanest, driest part of the building. Sebastian, having been in Boy Scouts as a kid, was able to start a small fire despite the rain coming through the caved-in roof. It was small, not enough for a reliable heat source, but enough to give us peace of mind that we could somewhat see. Worn out from the day, we all huddled together in our makeshift sanctuary of sweaters and jackets and tried our best to sleep through the storm. I hugged Sebastian and Anthony close to me, fearing they might disappear if I let go and drifted off. I awoke in a sense of panic. It was pitch black and I have a severe anxiety regarding the dark. I couldn't see anything. It made no difference if my eyes were closed or open. I jolted upward only to be slammed back down. It was then I realized I was harnessed to a bed. My breathing escalated. Where was I? How did I end up here? I looked over to my left at a nearby window where the moonlight shone in. The rain had stopped just as quick as it came. That's when I saw it standing in the corner. The reason I say it is because I'm not sure if it was male or female or even human. It was in a black gown and had 
on a mast similar to a bird, slits for eyes, and a very long beak. I didn't scream or thrash about, I just laid there. My neck cramped up. It moved awkwardly towards the door and disappeared into the darkness. A sudden feeling of hopelessness overcame me and I began to sob quietly, afraid it would hear me and come back. Plague mask. Yeah. <laughs> okay. After what felt like an hour, I mustered up enough courage to try to free myself from the harness with my teeth. It tasted like dried blood, leather, and dirt, but I kept at it, eventually freeing one arm, which I used to undo the other harnesses on my feet and other arm. I climbed out of the bed and fell to the floor immediately. Why were my legs so weak? I crawled over to the moonlight and noticed I was in a hospital gown. What the fuck? How had I not noticed that before? I began examining myself to make sure I was okay and my ankles and wrists were slightly bloody with embedments of the harnesses. I had been tied down so tight that I had bled from the harness cutting into my skin. I started sobbing again, trying to rub the dried blood off me. After obsessively cleaning the dried blood off me, I began trying to stand up. Balancing my arm on the window seal, I pulled myself up and forced myself to stand straight. I understood that the cuts were somewhat deep, but it shouldn't have been affecting me this much. I felt like I had been drugged. What had I eaten that day? Did I even eat? I couldn't remember, so I assumed I was faintest. I was faintish. Faintish. Oh my god, I can't say that. So I assumed I was faintish from hunger. At this point, I was very slowly, very quietly making my way across a dimly lit area to the hallway. By the time I actually reached the doorway leading out to the darkness, I had regained my ability to hold myself up without staggering like a zombie. God, it was so dark. That's when I heard it. It still haunts my dreams to this day. Down the hall into the darkness came the most blood-curdling scream that made the hair stand up on the back of my neck, and it didn't stop. Scream after scream after scream came from whatever was at the other end of the darkness. It wasn't really the scream that scared me. It was the fact that it sounded like my brother. My flight or fight my flight or fight kicked in and I jumped into the hallway, instantly regretting my decision. I couldn't see. I had no sense of direction, completely and utterly exposed. I tried going in the direction of the screams, arms wide open in front of me, feeling around for walls and obstacles. Anthony, I whispered, afraid of what might hear me. Anthony, tell me where you are. I was crying and cringing at every scream. I was getting closer. I rounded a corner and the screams were hurting my eardrums at this point. My heart was beating faster than a hummingbird's wings can flap and hard enough that it felt like it was going to burst through my chest and land on the ground in front of me. I thought I would never escape until I saw a dim light coming from a doorway. I couldn't breathe. That room was where Anthony's screams were coming from. The second I stepped into the room, everything became silent. There, strapped to an operating table, was a cut open body surrounded by surgeons in the same bird mask as the one I saw, and the body on the table didn't belong to my brother. It was Michael, and he was staring me in the eyes along with all the surgeons. I had walked in during their experimental surgery, and now they were staring me down with hand drills and scalpels in hand. I wish I could say I ran into the room. I wish I could say I fended off the masked doctors. I wish that I could say I saved Michael. I didn't. I just stood there, overwhelmed with fear. My stomach was in my throat and I couldn't breathe. The smell was unbearable, charred flesh and vomit with a hint of mold. The mask doctors started moving towards me in unison. Once again, I didn't move. I couldn't. They were six feet away now. I was consumed with a feeling of dread and the possibility that death was staring me in the face. Three feet away. 
It wasn't the fact that they were moving towards me that made my skin crawl. They were silent, and it seemed as if their motions were skipping, like a poor-quality YouTube video still buffering. By the time I snapped out of my immobility, it was too late. I was grabbed by both arms by two of the masked doctors. The strong smell of potpourri hitting me in the face was enough to make my eyes water. I looked up to the one on my left as it stared back down at me silently, pleading with my eyes, You don't have to do this. You don't have to kill me. Please. They started dragging me out of the room and back into the dark hallway. No matter how much I screamed or kicked, I wasn't strong enough to break their hold, and eventually my feet gave way, scraping against the debris on the floor. There was no hope. I'm 5'1 and 118 pounds, and these things were towering over me like giants. I was never going to escape. I was going to die. I leaned my head into my right armpit and started to cry. There was no sense in being quiet anymore. My pleas for mercy were useless. We turned a corner and I realized we were going back the way I had come from. They were taking me back to the same room, I woke up in. I cried hard, muttering no and please, as I was forced back onto the same bed I had spent forever trying to escape from. They started harnessing my left foot, no matter how many times times I tried to get up. I was immediately slammed back down with so much force it made my head spin. As they strapped my left wrist into the harness, they started tightening them so tight it was cutting into my skin more so than before, and it was actually affecting the circulation of blood flow. The best way to describe it is to imagine tying floss around your finger extremely tight and feeling a heartbeat. I squeezed my eyes shut and clenched my teeth together. The lack of circulation felt like it would be enough for my feet and wrists to fall off. After a few moments, my eyes shut open, scanning the room. All I could see were green dots from squeezing my eyes shut so tight. But from what I could see, the masked doctors were gone. I felt so hopeless. I was back at square one. I started squirming around against the metal mesh of the worn down bed. The lack of a comforting mattress made it difficult because I sunk in so much. Think of a metal hospital bed with no mattress. Now think of a small person being strapped down to one. It was painful to say the least, but my goal was to loosen the harness enough to let my body breathe. It felt like my limbs were falling asleep. Thankfully, they were old enough to give a little slack. This should have been the point where I tried to get myself out of the brown leather that strapped me down to the bed, but I just laid there. I was afraid that if I escaped again, the doctors would come back for me, as if I was a troublesome patient that just wouldn't stay in their bed. Even if they didn't come back, the straps were loose enough to allow proper blood flow, but not enough to maneuver my teeth to the leather. I just laid there in the darkness crying. I'm not sure how long I was there, but eventually I cried long and hard enough to cause my head to hurt and my eyes to feel swollen and heavy. So I did what any other not sane person would do. I slept. When I finally came to, the morning sunshine shone through the room, illuminating everything in the welcoming sun. When I sat up, the straps just seemed to caress my skin ever so slightly and fall off, as if they had never been tightened at all. Or, the more frightening option, someone had come into the room while I slept and undid them. I decided not to overthink it. The sunlight gave me a sense of hope that drove me to get up and examine the room more thoroughly. There were multiple beds in the room, most of them corroded and turned upside down. In the far corner of the room, I noticed a chair that made my stomach drop. It wasn't the chair that scared me, but rather what it was sitting on top of. There, in a neatly folded fashion, were my jeans, tank top, jacket, and shoes. My eyes darted to the doorway. Nothing. I slowly made my way to the clothes, eyes never leaving the doorway, and began changing into them. 
Once I was fully dressed, the sudden realization of loneliness overcame me, and my mind drifted to Michael. Oh my God, Michael. I quickly and quietly made my way down to the door made my way to the doorway and peeked out into the hall. I crept down the hall and around the corner, sticking to the walls and staying on my toes as much as I could. I felt like I was in a James Bond movie, on a mission, not wanting to be detected by the enemy. When I made it to the room I saw Michael in, I froze in my tracks. It was empty. The smell of charred flesh and potpourri was no longer there. There was no blood on the ground, no doctors, no Michael and Michael was not on the now clean operating table. There was no one. I was alone. I walked inside and began looking around for clues. Maybe they moved the body and cleaned up afterwards? I continued my search, kicking away fallen boards and leaves that drifted in from the window. There was nothing notable. A few used needles, probably from people shooting up while visiting the island, some trash, and an old pair of white shoes that had probably belonged to a very dedicated nurse at one point. I moved my search to a few other rooms and eventually felt at ease. This particular building was empty. I was safe, as much as my mind would let me believe. I made my way out through a large doorway and looked around. The building I had come from seemed to be in the middle of a few other larger ones. I figured that the church-like structure had to be on the south end since it was the first initial shelter we found yesterday. Every step I took, I became more excited and determined to meet up with everyone and get the fuck off this island. Everyone except Michael. My stomach churned at the thought of having to explain to Sahar that her husband was most likely dead. I made my way through some shrubbery and what appeared to be remnants of a vineyard, so I searched around for anything edible and found a few grapes that seemed more than fine to eat. While maneuvering myself over a broken branch, I somehow lost my footing and landed with a hard thud onto the soil. As I pulled myself up, brushing off the dirt from my jacket, the sight before me made me want to vomit. Slightly unearthed from where I had fallen were a few remnants of human skulls. I gagged a little and hurried away, bracing myself against a nearby tree. The thought that there was a vineyard above, who knows how many bodies, was enough for me to vow to never drink Italian wine again. I looked up and could see the church in view. With a few deep breaths, I made my way to the doorway. Upon looking inside, I couldn't help but notice how serene it looked during the day. The vines and branches cascading down the walls through the holes in the ceiling would make anyone feel welcome, except for me. The silence of an empty building shot daggers through my heart. They weren't here. I had been so sure with no doubt in my mind that they would be here, never giving it a second guess. I slumped to my knees, leaning my body against the doorframe. My body ached. I was incredibly sore, famished, and tired. My mind raced through my thoughts, trying to think of where Sebastian, Anthony, and Sahar might be. If I was hungry, then they were most likely just as hungry. I jumped to my feet and ran back towards the other buildings, holding on to the thought that maybe they were searching for food. I had a plan. If I couldn't find them in any of the buildings, then I would check all of the docks in hopes they might be waiting for the fisherman's friend to show up. When I reached the building I had woken up in, I looked around, scanning the area and getting a feel of what was around me. I crossed my arms. It was getting colder. I decided to make my way to the closest building I saw, being as silent as possible because I feared what might hear me. I already felt like I was being watched. I didn't want my big mouth to confirm it by calling out to anyone. As I reached the long building, I noticed the doors were locked shut from inside. When I peeked from a dirty window, I could barely see anything. I left this building and wandered into a smaller one. A building that size with how dark it seemed inside was asking for trouble. 
When I made it to my next building, my body was slightly convulsing from how cold I felt. Looking up above the two doors hanging off their hinges was a large plaque with big Italian letters. I decided later that it most likely said kitchen because when I entered, I could see large stoves, a few sinks, and a couple ovens. In one corner, I noticed a metal rack that I assumed was used to hold bread at one point or another. Kicking around a few leaves and trash, I found an old lighter in working condition, which instantly lifted my spirits. I now had a light source. Out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something outside of the windows. I walked over to the window, my shoes crunching on broken glass. Looking out, I noticed that what I had seen was a seagull that flown down and landed in the field. Looking towards the sky, I could see it was going to be dark within a few hours and the clouds were rolling in. There was no way I would be able to find my group before dark. I was going to have to stay another night. The alarming fact of this put me into a weird sense of panic determination. I ran over to one of the side rooms, hoping maybe I could barricade myself in one, but I wasn't having much luck since they all had windows. I opened one of the doors in the main room where I had seen all of the ovens and stoves and smiled a little. It had a few shelves and was very compact, but it had more than enough room to fit at least three people. It had a small hole in the ceiling, so if I managed to start a small fire without burning the place down, there would be decent ventilation and warmth. I got to work on preparing to hold myself up in that small pantry for the night to come. Little did I know my efforts would make no difference. I awoke in a puddle of water, yet again in a frenzied panic. The light rain from outside trickled down a hole in the ceiling onto my cheeks. I was soaked. My hair is dripping with sweat and rainwater. The small fire consisted of twigs and leaves. The small fire consisting of twigs and leaves I had managed to create was long diminished, leaving me in darkness. I could hear shuffling footsteps behind the door. I struggled with the old lighter, trying to get it to the light. The footsteps stopped. I stopped fidgeting with the lighter, covering my mouth. In the silence, I felt like my breathing was much louder than it was. I sat there, straining my ears to hear any sign of movement. The footsteps started again and faded away. My body was so cold and my clothes stuck to me. I sneezed. I heard running footsteps stomping into the ground and a large slam right into the door. I jumped with fear and slid into the corner. I couldn't tell if I was crying or if it was just the rain falling on me from overhead. The footsteps shuffled away once more. I sat there, terrified beyond belief. Whatever was out there knew I was hiding in here. I wasn't sure if it was gone, but I forced myself to stay in that corner until I knew it was safe to leave. About what felt like an hour and a half later, I got the courage to stand. I know what most of you are thinking. I should have stayed in that room until dawn. However, whatever was outside of the door knew I was in there. How long before it came back with help? I did not want to end up strapped down to a hospital bed again, or worse, an operating table. My best chance was to make a run for it and cross the bridge to the other half of the island. With a few deep breaths, I burst through the door and made my way out of the building, tripping over nothing and slamming into everything. At this point, it didn't matter how much noise I made. My location was compromised regardless. I made it outside and fell into the mud. The moon gave me very little light as it peeked through the black clouds. Covered in mud, I made it to my feet and let out a very loud scream. Standing about 20 yards away, I could make out the Venetian mask staring at me. I ran to the direction of where I was fairly sure the bridge was, constantly looking over my shoulder for pursuers. The rain constantly hitting my face felt like needles, and my lungs were on fire due to the icy air. I've never been a runner. Even in high school, I had managed to find excuses to not run the long mile fitness test every week. I regret that now. 
I came to an exasperated stop, leaning over, trying to catch my breath, and started dry heaving. I looked up and could see the bridge. I was so close. A branch snapped behind me. Someone was following close behind. Not turning around, I started towards the bridge with a slow jog, which eventually turned into a full-blown sprint. When I reached the bridge, I turned back and scanned the tree line. To my surprise, no one was there. Then again, it was quite dark. The trees gave anything in it the advantage of being cloaked in the darkness. While I stood on the middle of the bridge, illuminated in the little light the moon gave off behind the clouds. The crickets stopped chirping one by one and everything went silent. A low humming sound started off quiet and started to grow. I couldn't make out what exactly it was, but it sounded like it was coming from all around me. I picked a direction and started running through the thick grassy field behind me. It felt like my feet were sinking into the ground. I had no idea where I was going. It was so dark. I tripped and landed onto the soft, muddy soil with a puff of dirt and ash filling the air. I was covered from head to toe in mud. I stood up and looked around while spitting mud out of my mouth. I couldn't remember which direction I had come from. It didn't help that I could barely see my hands in front of me either. I pulled the lighter out of my back pocket and tried to get it to light despite the heavy rainfall. No dice. There was just too much rain to get it to emit even the smallest flame. The humming noise is louder and I can see a small flickering of light off in the distance. Help. I screamed as loud as I can and began running towards the light. I continue to scream as the ground beneath me changes from dirt to wood. I can hear the water lapping off the wooden beams below me. The light gets bigger. I scream louder. The humming sound I had earlier I had heard earlier is getting louder now. The light shines on me. I wave my arms, screaming for help. The light is blinding me now. I shield my eyes. I hear people yelling in Italian as the light passes me. I can't see, my eyes unable to adjust to the light. An arm reaches out to me. I grab it, and I'm yanked onto a boat. My mind is racing. My eyes adjust, and the boat is moving now. An Italian woman, probably in her early 50s, approaches me and gently puts her arms around my shoulders. She whispers in a soft voice to me, I don't understand. I don't speak Italian. I'm sorry. I don't speak, I started to say as she interrupted me with more soft-spoken Italian. I felt like I was a small child from the way I was being talked to. I sat there in shock as the boat sped through the water, leaving Pavelia Island at the distance. She left me for a few moments, rustling in the cabin below, and returned with a blanket which she wrapped around me. She grabbed my hand and led me down the few steps into the small cabin as she yelled up to the man driving in the boat while smiling. I took a seat on the couch that lined the wall. I was still shaking, unsure if it was from the cold and being soaked or the fear that terrorized me earlier. The woman began humming to herself softly as she grabbed more blankets from a cabinet. She returned to me and I huddled back a little. To be honest, I was still trying to grasp the concept of being rescued. He sat down next to me and smiled. She threw the small blanket over my shivering body and said one single word in English that made my eyes water up. Safe, she said in a very thick accent. Safe. I could hear commotion outside the boat, and the woman hurried me up out of my seat and back on the deck of the boat. We had docked. I was immediately greeted with a warm hug by Sahar. I could hear my brother cry out to me. The sky was starting to gray as the morning birds chirped happily. Tears started to roll down my eyes, and I was met with the familiar scent of her perfume. Still standing on the dock were Anthony, Sebastian, and... Michael? Impossible. Michael? 
I stuttered in disbelief. I was angry now. Everything I knew or had thought I knew was suddenly thrown into a hurricane of hysteria in my mind. I watched you die, I cried as I let go of Sahar and climbed my way off the boat onto the dock. Everyone looked at me with confusion and fear. Sebastian approached me with one with a raised eyebrow. Baby, he started, what are you talking about? I took a step back at as the boat sped off into the distance. What do you mean? I yelled. We got stranded. Don't you remember? We had to sleep in that church. I pointed at Michael. You were cut open on an operating table screaming for help. We got separated the first night there. Everyone was silent. Anthony took a step closer to me. Octavia, you disappeared two days ago after saying you had to go to the bathroom. He spoke slowly. No, we all went together. We we got stranded. I trailed off in false confidence as everyone stared at me with concern. Octavia, Michael had to ask around with your picture to see if anyone had seen you. It wasn't until we were directed to a fisherman yesterday that we had any idea of where you were. Sahar was talking now. Apparently, you had paid him to take you on a tour and threw yourself into the water as the guy was passing Pavalia Island. He tried calling out to you, but you just kept swimming toward that island, so he turned around. Octavia, we were never on that island with you. I was at a loss for words. We had to pay that couple to search for you because they wouldn't let us near the island. They said it was too too dangerous for tourists, Michael said. My head was swimming in an ocean of confusion that was causing a headache. I tried to retrace retrace my thoughts of everything that had happened those two nights. Sahar and Sebastian exchanged frowns. Sebastian threw his arm around me and kissed me on the forehead. You just need some rest, baby, he softly whispered, looking lovingly into my eyes. I smiled despite my inner turmoil. They continued to console me the entire night and the whole flight home the next afternoon, but when I would try to bring Pavalia up, I was told it wasn't good for my health and I shouldn't try to let my mind overthink things. To this day, no one believes what I experienced. Not my family, not my now husband Sebastian, nor Sahar or Michael. Anthony won't even look at me anymore. I know what I saw. I know what I experienced. I'm not crazy. I am not a harm to myself or others. Sometimes I wake up from night terrors. Most nights I'm afraid if I go to sleep, I'll wake up strapped to the hospital bed. I've tried to push those memories to the back of my mind to bury them. Eventually, I was able to move forward from it. However, there's always been one thing that has never clicked right, that I just couldn't stop thinking about, something that just never made sense to me. Sahar had said that I paid a fisherman to take me to Pavalia. I don't speak Italian. What the fuck? <laughs> like, what? Yeah. That's... I told you the twist. I told you the twist was where it's at. I find it strange that no one believes her. I know. Like That's they're what like, made yeah, me so mad. The when locals I read it. won't let us go there. It's a terrible place. <laughs> and what got me is that you know they said that a fisherman just took off, like she just took off from the fisherman, and he tried to stop her. But she just kept going. It's like she didn't even hear him. Like she was almost like possessed to go. Well, how there did she get possessed? Like on the mainland? I like over to do that? I don't know. Whether this story is real or not, because I got it from Reddit. So you know, whatever. It's still 
scary and the twist at the end was the reason that I wanted to put this story in one of our episodes because I was like oh my god I couldn't I was like I could not just not do it no matter how short how much how much more stories there are out there that are 10 times shorter than this I was like no this is the one (laughs) (laughs) that's so strange like it is Oh, man. I would have taken that nightgown with me, though, like, evidence. Yeah, I would have taken something. Like, maybe the straps, like, if the straps were able to come off the bed. Did she not have the strap marks anymore? Was it all just... I know! That was never mentioned either. Were, did, was she not still bleeding? Yeah. She like, said she was that bleeding. That would have left mark, like, scars. Yeah. Man, that was left out. Need to know. Need to know whether she had scars because if she had scars i would 1000 percent believe her yeah like (laughs) wow yeah i told you it was it was a if i did that would you believe me jamie i would need some kind of evidence but i feel like just because you're my friend yeah i'd believe especially i mean it would depend on like your hysteria too you know and it sounds to me like her hysteria was pretty legit yeah like it's not like her story changed or anything like it was no this happened this happened why don't you believe me yeah i don't know the pure shock of seeing michael alive do you think i know she was like what michael i was like oh my god so yeah no so um resources for this story were um no sleep reddit subreddit page for the story uh luxadventuretraveler.com and italicsmag.com so take what you will like we say you know you just never enjoy know. the scare exactly just enjoy the scares because it and may is really haunted like there's no question about that it it may not be true and that's perfectly fine that is not what we're here for 100 percent of the time is to tell you true 1000% true stories like it so that's not what we're here for all the time we're tales of terror okay exactly. <laughs> and that was a tale of terror if yeah. I and may say so anyways the fact that it's off limits to everyone is yeah. a sign enough that it's haunted don't go there yeah. plus all the bodies that are just left there most likely yeah I don't know Mm-mm. <gasps> okay well we hope you guys enjoyed it yes And we hope to see you next time. Thanks for coming to our episode. Yes. Bye. That's it for today. Thanks for coming to hang out with us and listening to our show. Don't forget you can find us on social media, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. All the links can be found on our website, 3, the number 3, not the word, 3amtalesofterror.com. You can also subscribe with your email for updates there as well. If you have any questions for us or story ideas, you can email us at info at 3amtalesofterror.com. We hope you'll join us next week. And And we hope hope you you were terrified. terrified.